And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 80, the Ocho Zero of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Memorial Day here in the United States, Monday, May 25th, 2015. So folks, I'd like to start this week's show off with a dramatic reading. It goes a little like this. I've got a pocket full of quarters, and I'm headed to the arcade. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm bringing everything I made. I got a callus on my finger, and my shoulder's hurting too. Gonna eat them all up, just as soon as they turn blue. That's right, folks. Rock Friday marked the 35th anniversary of that pizza-shaped hero, Pac-Man. It was originally called Puckman, of course, and is the most successful arcade machine ever made, with approximately 10 billion plays to date. So Joe and I have our quarters on your desk and are ready for the next play. Two old guys here, and we're ready to bring you the dragon's lair of news and views and release the tempest of every geographic shape of best practices in content marketing. We're the defender of the invasion, the Zaxxon, flying through the fortress of native advertising, covering the social media freeway like Frogger, and joining the together with dual firepower of a Galaga challenge round. That's right, folks, it's burger time. Time for us to get to the jousting and tee up our free plays, and for that it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the Super Mario of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, Joe? Oh, I am. I am fantastic. Uh, how are you on this holiday Monday? I am. Fa- I'm doing well, actually. It's 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 um, it's the first weekend in the new house for me, anyway. Oh, the pictures look fantastic that you've been it's, sharing on Facebook. It's uh, you know the neighborhood here, tremendous. as I have to say, is really really nice. Moving out to the, I mean, it seems just like really weird to say that I'm out in the country, living in Los Angeles, but it is. It's out in horse country here, and sort of the western part of the valley, and it's and it's it's really nice. We're we're having a good time. Are you like behind the Hollywood sign? Is that like? Well, like where where I lived like, before was just opposite the Hollywood sign, and and these days, if you go behind the Hollywood side and then go west for about twenty five miles, that's where I am. Oh, so now. you're right behind the sign. I'm thinking you're in a tent behind the the Hollywood, <laughs> the H or the O or something. That was that was when I first moved here. Now, when I when I first moved here, I lived in a little Hollywood hot box right under the O, actually. <laughs> hey, a uh, special shout out to all those armed. Men and um, services, men and women, uh, for uh, for everything they've done. Uh, shout Both out our to, dads, right? Both, uh, shout out to my dad, dad and my dad, your dad right? and my yeah. dad. Um, yeah. My dad was in the army. How about your dad? My dad was in the army as well. They could have been like bunkmates or something like that. I think my dad was a little older than your dad. I think my my dad was uh, uh, he 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 was in uh, the first part of the Korean War. Yeah, just a tad bit, not too far away though. Yeah. you and I are are close. Well. <laughs> let's just not even no, let's there. let's not even go there okay so before we get started we gotta um you know do the whole uh last week to get your special super dun, duper dun, discount dun. for content marketing world so on may 31st content marketing world rates this is the last chance you can save 500 dollars actually on so if you're if you know if it's a budgetary issue this is the week to sign up and we've been given permission to actually give up out an extra hundred dollars. Wow! So if you would like to sign up this week before May thirty first, and you use the code PNR all capital PNR all caps, and you will save an extra hundred dollars. So that's six hundred dollars off the rate, and uh, it's going to be super duper fantastic. And uh, I can't believe it. It's just a few months away now. It's unbelievable. Get- I cannot believe that it's almost June. It is. It is unbelievable to me that it did how fast this year has gone by it's 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 crazy it's really crazy you know as we get older you know it just does go <laughs> it does go faster that's what you know what i don't know that but that's what, well joe that's what they i was say. telling you when i was trying to get up here for my podcast <laughs> if i could only find my shoes and my glasses then everything would be just fine. All right. Do we have uh, we have we news? do have some news this week? Believe it or not, yes, absolutely. Well, and in fact, we uh, CMI are in the news in our top story, which is CMI acquires the content marketing show. Uh, this news item current uh, occurs to us from uh, Cleveland.com of all places. I'm fancy that. And it says, Joe Polizzi's Content Marketing <laughs> Institute, with a very fabulous picture of you, I might add. Um, 
the Cleveland company that, of course, hosts the Popular Content Marketing World Conference, what we were just talking about, folks, has now acquired the United Kingdom's over there in the UK across the pond content marketing show. And instead of producing an in-person event in London, CMI is going to now turn the content marketing show into a three-day virtual event focused exclusively on measuring the return, because that's quite a popular topic, on content marketing efforts. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Uh, you know, the first thing is, what's with that picture they're using? It looks like I've gained fifty pounds in that picture. What what happened? I'm bloated. I, I I'm all that's I'm retaining water. Joel. What, it's roly poly, Joel. <laughs> all right, then it's roly yes. poly, Joel. Actually, uh, you know we've there's had your the- tweetable moment, folks. It's hashtag roly poly, Joe. Actually, we're we're super excited about this. Uh, you know, we've been working with the folks at Rough Agenda for a while. Um, you know, they they put on a series of amazing SEO and content marketing events in the UK. And, you know, there was an opportunity for us to partner on the content marketing show brand. And, you know, we were thinking, you know, do we want to go over to London and do the in-person and be a, be a physical event in Europe? And we said, no, let's take that brand. Let's do a three-day virtual event, and we're going to do it on European time. So it's not going to be like our normal thing where we do everything is, you know, U.S. or Eastern time. Sure. We're going to yeah. actually be on European, U.K. time. And uh, we're going to have, and what this is what I love about it. We're doing it all on measurement. Everything is focused on measurement. Uh, you know, forget about the whole thing about, you know, we're not going to bring in any social media stuff in here. We're not going to bring in anything that it does not specifically relate to how you can measure your content marketing efforts. So we're super excited about it. And I, and I hear you're speaking. I, I, that's the rumor anyway, but although I didn't hear about this whole thing about being on the UK time thing, so um, we're going to need to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm hey, going to have to get up early, I guess. It's 8 o'clock <laughs> Eastern time on Memorial Day. We're doing this podcast. I'm sure it's not going to be an issue because a week and a half, I'm going to be in Norway, and I'm sure we're going to have to figure that out. I mean, it's, Oh, my just, goodness gracious. This is how um, much we love content This marketing. is how much we love we you. Will just, yes. We're going to go to the mats. Um so that's it. I mean, I'm super excited about it. I it's going to be a, it's going to be a cool show. I'm I'm really excited the fact that it's virtual and it's and, and and I'm doubly excited that it's all on measurement because as you know, I've been working on some larger projects as it pertains to measurement for Content Marketing World this year and this is going to fit right into that and and I am all about measurement this year. I am I am super focused on it in all my research and my big projects that I'm working on and it's I'm super excited about you know, it. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm tired. I'm getting tired of all the folks saying, "Oh, you you it's so hard hard to measure this oh well you I'm know just tired I mean, of it yeah. i wanted to, and that's why we just want to come out with this event and say look here it is here's a roadmap here's a blueprint here's 15 to 18 really smart amazing people that will show you how to measure this here you go yeah that's exactly no matter what industry exactly. you're in how big your company all that kind of stuff so <clears throat> well speaking of acquisitions we didn't talk about this last week, although it happened last week, um, and was huge news in technology, of course, and in content. And so I thought we'd bring it up for this week and chat a little bit about it. But this little tiny startup company called Verizon um, acquired this other little tiny startup called America Online, or AOL. Um, this coming to us straight from Verizon.com, although every major technology publication on the planet seemed to cover this thing. And what Verizon basically said said was, you know, really, they're trying to, in a in a super buzzword-filled press release, basically to further drive our wireless video over-the-top strategy, the agreement will support and connect Verizon's IoT, Internet of Things platforms, creating a growth platform from wireless to IoT for consumer, blah, 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 Talk blah, about blah, it. blah, yeah. blah. How many acronyms? Oh, my, they, have, like, they were an acronym ever. Like was, OTT, you down with OPP? I mean, they got all <laughs> kinds of stuff going on in this thing. <laughs> It was pretty amazing. And I don't know, what did you think about, I mean, so I have a real take on this, but um, I, you know, I, the, the, the sort of conventional wisdom here seems to be that it's all about the ad tech. Um, and I wanted to get your take on this. What do you, what do you think about the acquisition and what do you think they end up doing with all these content platforms, Huffington Post and all of the other things that they, you know, TechCrunch and Engadget and all these things. What do you think about all that? Well, the, fir- that, the first thing, I thought of was, wow, I mean, Verizon's getting some amazing brands and some amazing yeah, exactly. media properties. And then literally, and, and you're, you mentioned this, I probably went to, uh, let's say, 20 different sites just to see how they covered this as we were yeah. researching it. And everyone said the same thing. Verizon bought AOL for the ad tech, for the pre, the, specifically the integrated video uh, technology that AOL has 
been fine tuning and and for the the analysts say that that it's some of the best technology around now so here's my question back to you are we this is all about advertising this is there i mean they're pushing this thing all out like oh my gosh the savior of video and the savior of this whole thing is going to be running pre and post roll videos uh, or of uh, uh, advertisements on on top of these videos seriously and I'm yes. asking you that question because I'm totally lost in this. Well, okay. So here's the here's my take on this, which is it dovetails exactly with what you're just talking about. Which is, look, if Verizon bought AOL for the ad tech, they I, I want to go shake Steve Case's hand because he is the best sales guy in history. Their ad tech, unless they've got something in a super secret bunker in Colorado somewhere that nobody knows about, and they must have been in Colorado smoking something to sort of see that kind of value. I mean, the premium that they paid for this company. And and to say that it's only about the ad tech is, to me, is just insane. I mean, the ad tech is good, but I can't imagine that it's worth the premium they paid on the entire company to get it. You know, I think what this is interesting is if they're serious, if they're actually serious about buying them for the ad tech, then they'll spin off a lot of these content companies. You know, they'll spin off HuffPo, they'll spin off TechCrunch, they'll spin off Engadget, and that might actually be the best thing ever for those content brands. Because I just don't see how Verizon manages those content brands and keeps them successful, and as a you know, as a Verizon company, I just don't see how they they're really set up to do this. Unless, to your point, they're really seeing something in an integration between the ad tech and these content brands that AOL was somehow, and this is where I get confused, unable to do, and they go, aha. We can now have we have the infrastructure, we have the coverage, we have the money, we can actually integrate it, and we can actually make money across all of these content platforms with this awesome new wonderful shiny ad tech that we just bought i I don't get any of it to be quite frank i i don't I don't really understand this i the the you know the only thing I can see that they that they would really get from a o l is and it, to me, it's not the ad tech. It's actually the infrastructure, right? So I think from a content-serving infrastructure, AOL has got a has got a big platform there, right? So in other words, the physical distribution of all of the and the what they've got from a content-serving perspective, Verizon doesn't have. So if Verizon is serious about getting into the OTT game. They could use the AOL technology infrastructure, the holistic part of that, to deliver content out to OTT things. I don't think, you know, to me, if it's all about ad tech, they way overpaid. If it's about content infrastructure, I kind of get it. My question, so I totally agree with what you're saying, but my concern here is, and maybe I'm missing. Are you something. concerned? Are you really concerned? I'm, I'm for really Verizon, concerned, my friend. I'm really concerned. Here's why. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. Um, but as much money as they extract no, from no, no, me every I mean, month, they'll be fine. Uh, but my thinking is is that in two to five years, whatever the timetable is going to be, that consumers are not going to put up with pre-roll video. Like, um, I don't have to wait 30 to 45 seconds to see my video, which right today is generally accepted. So, okay, I want to see this piece of content. I want to see cats playing a piano, whatever I want to see. I got to listen to 17 seconds from Goldman Sachs. On right. something or other. Sure. Do you really think – I mean my thought is is that we are probably going to get away from that at some point because I think there's going to be so many content options out there in the next few years that are really good uh, equivalent types of content that I don't have to sit through. So is this – and maybe it will evolve into something else, but I just can't see it. It's got to be something different than the pre and the post roll. It's got to well, be I something th- else. I, I hope it is. I mean I really, really – I mean this is what you expect when you hear that they paid such a premium for this level of ad tech, right, is that that there's something that they have up their sleeve that doesn't involve pre and post roll or or quite frankly banner ads that that they've – you know that they could serve up that that is actually interesting. Um, you know, there's lots of talk these days on Wall Street about all these new companies and how native is going to become programmatic and how content itself is going to be, you know, there's all these startups. We've talked about them, a few of them on this show, how a few startups are going to be sort of serving up programmatic content 
in sort of a more personal, you know, way and sort of look at, you know, and all the stuff that has been around targeting and, and blah, blah, blah. All that stuff's been around for a while. And maybe this is, you know, sort of a step in that direction. And maybe Verizon looks at AOL and says, okay, great, we can now acquire that. And it basically gives us an enablement to do serve up advertising, which I get your point totally, which is like, really, this is what, you know, you're basically, you know, it's the classic, you know, you're, you're, you're chasing old technology as the new one develops up around you. And, and I guess ultimately what I see here is, is that the, if they have something that they can actually use to serve content with, I mean, you know, look, we're biased. We come at this with you know the name of our show for crying out loud, but if they can come something that serves content better, then I get the acquisition and I exactly. understand why they buy AOL. If they get to something that serves advertising better, then I don't get it. Well, every article that was posted out there had advertising. It was all about the advertising. Um, and and the, I guess the other thing that nobody mentioned in every article that I read was the fact that you know AOL has you know millions and millions of subscribers. <laughs> And Verizon has, I mean, Verizon has a product or two for every one of those million uh, subscribers available. Well, that's true as well. I mean, and it, nobody's it's, talking it's a little, about yeah, that. it's a it's a little known, I guess, fact that you know AOL still has. I, I, I'm going to get this number wrong, so don't don't uh, you know don't call me out on this. But it's it's I want to say it's two or three or four million subscribers that are still on dial up. You know subscriptions. You know they're nine ninety five, fifteen ninety five. All you can eat. Get your CD in the mail and and sign up for dial up. You know access to the internet called America Online. I mean, there's still that's a it's a big revenue number. It's not a it's not a big revenue number in Verizon's you know sort of world of revenue, but it's a it's a big it's a meaningful number. And if to your point, if they can convert those people over into something meaningful over on Verizon, wireless internet or something like that, well then there's something there too. I suppose. Yeah, I just find it odd that the the CEO Tim Armstrong of AOL and everyone else, then the 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 spokesperson for Verizon, everybody came out and just dismissed the other parts that I think are so valuable to AOL that you were talking about as, as well. And they're just talking about the ad tech. So I You're absolutely right. Just didn't, and, and didn't by the way, the you, you, the you got the you got the name wrong. I got the name wrong. I, I was speaking about the old AOL CEO Steve Case, and I meant to say Tim Armstrong. That's that Tim Armstrong is the best sales guy in that in that in that metaphor there. Yeah, that's that's the right name. There you go. All right, All right moving on. Um, another story that came out this week, really interesting story, actually has to do with sort of a meta topic here, podcasting and this from Spotify. Um, and the source we're uh, going to talk about here is from theverge.com, which says Spotify is no longer just a music service. Uh, on the stage in New York city, uh, last week, the company shared its new goal of finding the perfect content to accompany every moment in your day. CEO, Daniel Elk said his company, company is taking a massive leap forward that goes beyond the conventional formats. Uh, his fellow executive showcased a new version of Spotify, more closely aligned with Zongza, and has playlists that tailors for a listener's day. But it's not just music anymore. It brings podcasting. Um, it brings video, which has got already partners like Comedy Central, Vice News, The Nerdist. Um, and as they say, essentially, Spotify wants to become your all-in-one jukebox for everything. What say you, Joe? Is this a good idea or a bad idea or somebody flailing for a business model? It, it actually sounded like the last one you mentioned. <laughs> now, when I first heard about this, I was pretty excited because I'm like, hey, you know, we have a podcast. Podcast. There's a we can. There's a new way that you know our readers can distribute their content, videos and podcasts and whatnot. But at, the more and more I dug into this, knowing that they have, I mean, they're a big company now, more than a billion dollars in revenue. But the problem is, is that the costs are are running rampant and going growing much faster than the revenues are. So they're probably like, well, how do we make money off of this? And it just goes back to the conversation we just had. They're saying, oh, hey, well, we can serve video, and we know how to monetize video now. Because of what we just talked about. So maybe right. there's an opportunity there. It looks like, correct me if I'm wrong, not everyone can put their podcast up here, though. No. This is, this is not like... They have partnerships. And yeah, it's not like um, SoundCloud or it's not like iTunes or anything no, like that. No, that's right. Like that's right. Have, this is, I think the partnerships initially are, are uh, Libsyn and... Um, 
uh, somebody else that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But we're but we'll be I guess theoretically on it because we're on. We're partners with Libsyn. It, am I pronouncing that right? Libsyn. Yeah, L-I-B-S-Y-N? Liberated Syndicate. Yeah, yeah, that's Liberated. Yeah, right. For our, to distribute ours. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see what what the opportunities will be. It's just. It goes back to the same thing. Making money directly off of the content is a hard business today. And they're struggling at it. And and who knew that the music distribution business was a tough business to be in? I mean, <laughs> just, <laughs> well, you mean like, like go everybody? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was every is it hasn't everybody figured that part oh. out yet that distributing music is sort of a very very low margin and very very hard business to make money in? <laughs> this has been true since well, really since the internet sort of jumped on and said, hey, by the way, you know all that uh, MP3 type things we can spread around for you? You can do that for free now. But you know, um, it's, just, it's funny, though. It's interesting to me that it is challenging. Of course, Spotify, one of the best names around, is still having a tough time. And Pandora has struggled on occasion with it. And now you've got Jay- Jay-Z's title going in here. You've got Apple doing their Beats music thing. Um, you got on and on and on. I mean, it's there's more and more competition for this very tough model business model to go after i mean is there anything to that i don't know just something that (laughs) no i think i I think what you're starting to see is the same thing that happened i mean it's the same thing that has happened with all sorts of industries which is digital has taken the value out of distribution i mean book distributors think about book distributors these days they're they're hurting um, and you look at you know music distributors. You look at basically the distribution business in a digital world for you know non physical products, and you can even argue physical products have been just completely disrupted um, over the last fifteen years. And and there's no money in it. You've got to have you've got to have another value to add m- money to that to that equation. Otherwise, you know the the you know the, the interesting thing if you look at iTunes. And iTunes is, you know, or Amazon, right? iTunes on itself or Amazon, they don't make any money on that, but it becomes it becomes a platform by which they can stack other elements of their business on top of it, and it becomes a reason for consumers to want to engage in that platform. Amazon you know, especially is a great example. Exactly, right? It's so, almost a value-add so, kicker. That's right, because so iTunes becomes a reason that I have an iPod. It becomes the reason that my iPhone connects into my music. It's just easy. It just makes the distribution is such a simple part of it. It becomes like plumbing, and I don't even think about it. And so, therefore, when I go buy music, of course I'm going to go buy it from the place where it makes it easier for me to engage with my other platform, which is, of course, my phone or my iPod or my iPad or my computer or whatever it is. And that's iTunes. Amazon's the same way. If the same, you know, if while I'm buying my, you know, box of Clorox or my, as you would say, your Swiffer pads, I could go <laughs> and get, I can get the latest album and I can either have it shipped physically to me or I can actually have it digitally downloaded and it's right there in my library and I don't have to think about it. It's it's just another part of what I'm doing as part of a buying or shopping experience. And the last thing I'll say on this is I, when I first heard about Spotify and going into podcasts, that made sense to me. It makes sense because you already have the person that is that is is into the audio portion of this. They're already bought in. The video, I think it's a different way to use the service completely. Like you almost have to retrain people on how to use it. It, it really is. I don't get the video. If you're part using at all. Spotify, yeah. using Pandora. I'm not looking at anything. I'm just right. <laughs> listening. I mean, I'd, to right, it. exactly. And so, I, you know, you're going to have to train people to go. Oh, right. In my smart TV, now I can go to Spotify and tune in to one of these channels that I have on 14 other platforms, like my Xbox or my my Apple TV or you know or you know Netflix or you know I have to. It's going to it's going to go compete against all of those things. I don't you know. I really I don't understand that part of it at yeah, all. The video is where I don't get it. I mean, they're now they're competing. They're opening themselves up for competition with with youtube and sure and vimeo and everything else now on the video side maybe there maybe it's something different but when you say that spotify wants to become the all-in-one jukebox for everything mm-hmm. audio and video oh, it dear. seems way too broad to me yeah so. that's exactly right that's exactly hey we're, we're back right back to broadcast media again how about that this is fantastic what a great oh, man, episode. This is, this is this the is, broadcast this is, well, media the, episode. The broadcast media episode. Cause, and we started off with 80s video games, and it feels like we're right back in 1980, you know, putting quarters on top of the Donkey Kong machine. Yeah, like we're, we come on right after Hill Street Blues. 
There it is, right? Right? Absolutely. I used to love that night, Thursday night, must see TV. (laughs) That was it, man. You would so you had you would have must see TV. Do you remember the lineup? It would go. uh, Let's see if I remember it. It would start with uh, Cosby Show, Cosby Show, Family Ties, correct? Cheers, and then you and then uh, Hill Street Blues is in there somewhere. Hill Street Blues is a ten. So yeah. what's your nine thirty slot? That was there Fraser. Was, um, now later, no ER. E- ER. Oh ER e- was e- after ER. That. That's right. ER was your Hill Street Blues was before it. that. Must see TV, wasn't it? I think you're right. I think yeah. No Hill Street Blues is before that. Yeah. So must see TV is is Thursday night NBC. Hill Street Blues I don't believe was NBC. Yeah, it was some right. other. They had some other tagline for that. Like you're really somebody on social see media. Will, somebody something. on social media will correct all uh, of this. Oh, for this, us. we've had already had ten errors in this episode. <laughs> where this is the error filled up. We don't know what's going on here. We got yeah. Moving whatever. on to our next news story. This one comes courtesy of CIO.com. Now there's uh, a name on this show you don't hear very often. The headline here is all right. Um, let me ask you a question, Joe. Are you feeling overworked? Are you underperforming? Just are you? Are you underperforming and overworked? <laughs> I, must, I must be because I'm a content marketer. You That's must be. The That's the headline. Says. It's a declarative statement, Joe. Content marketers are overworked and underperforming, says CIO.com. Are you feeling overworked, overwhelmed, on the edge of a mental breakdown? I'm not even making this up, folks, is how this article opens. Are you feeling overworked? overwhelmed on the edge of a mental breakdown you're probably a content marketer (laughs) you gotta read the next one too like sisyphus forced to push a giant boulder up a steep hill the content marketer is being told to create all kinds of content across many digital channels on a daily basis yeah that's good i mean we shouldn't make fun of it but it's it's, well i mean come on it's it's you know look here's the here's the thing He, he this the author here goes on to cite a few studies and talks about how really over the last two and a half years, content output has easily tripled. Um, and this we know, right? So if you believe Forrester, it's 200% year over year. We all know it. We all feel it. We do feel it. There's a lot of content we are putting out. Businesses, generally speaking, are putting out a lot of content. And according to this article, in fact, last year's marketers spent more than $135 billion creating digital marketing content. And so you know i guess the 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 point that this article is making is that there needs to be a focus into how marketers create content i i i the the point sort of gets a little fuzzy for me. Did you? I mean, did you did you pull that out of this when you read I, this? I, you know, I, I didn't. Know. It was interesting that this content marketing article is on CIO. I mean, that's what caught my interest. I'm sure it was right, yours as well. Of it's like, hey, this yep. is this yep. is something. So basically, uh, there's no, this article goes nowhere to me because it just makes no recommendations. Just as here it is. Um, but I I think you and I were talking before the show. You could say this about a lot of things. You could say that any marketer. Any anybody in marketing is um, is overworked or underperforming. Uh, sure, yeah. Depending I mean, the, on how I'm, you look at it. Now, I guess yeah. I, I do. I want. Well, to do he it. makes the point. He makes the point about halfway down that says. I, I think what the the point he's trying to make is is that most. I mean, in fact, he cites a study here. He says most marketing content goes unused. He says you know content is a mile wide and a mile deep. And most of it, quite frankly, never sees the light of day. And we've seen a lot of that recently, right? We've seen, you know, there was some article that talked about how Google, you know, most ad, you know, 70% of ads are some very high astronomical statistic of ads are never seen. Content is never seen. There's content shock. The business is producing too much content. But here's the thing. I mean, having worked in very, very large companies, most everything you do in a business goes unseen. And that's just the way it is. It's, it's you know, for anybody who works in a large corporation will tell you that part of working, part of succeeding in a large corporation is actually creating stuff that gets attention, doing stuff that gets attention. So there's not an irony here that really becoming good at content, really becoming good at marketing is part of your job as a corporate citizen as well. And so... 
I don't know that the, when I read this, it was like, I'm not sure that there's anything new here uh, other than the fact that, yes, we're producing a lot of content, a lot of it's getting unused, and we should probably stop doing that. I kind of wish this guy had been a little more prescriptive about well, what he wanted Well, there was an do. opportunity for that. It could have said, with content a mile wide and a mile deep, no wonder content marketers' nerves are afraid. And I want to say that's the problem. We're going right. a mile wide. We can go miles deep. But we're only we're going a mile wide as well. That means you have to cover a lot of yardage with your content, and it's probably too broad, irrelevant, and it's not working. Well, and so and this pairs nicely, by the way. With Wait, the, before you go on, yeah, before, yeah, yeah, I sure. gotta make yeah, yeah. this mention because yeah, yeah. I really, I probably spent thirty minutes on this, just getting frustrated at because I I saw the stat, and for everyone. <laughs> I, I'm oh, sorry. Oh my God! It's research again, folks. Here he goes. I saw this at 135. <laughs> you took, it took you 30 minutes to get to this point. Okay, uh, all right. I'm going to hear this. I have issues, major issues. <laughs> last this last year, marketers spent more than 135 billion creating digital marketing content, according to Bright Edge. And according to Bright Edge, and I'm like, where did that stat come from? What? And, and of course, right. I always say, like, what? Like, where? how do you get to that? I what? need to know how who? I need to know the formula, how? the survey. Exactly. Where? So I go, <laughs> I go according to, okay, it's according to Bright Edge. I go to the Bright Edge site. I found out that Bright Edge actually didn't do the survey. The survey was done by WebDAM. And there is 20, 30, 50 people that are citing a WebDAM infographic that says, $135 billion is going to be created on digital marketing collateral. Actually, that was the original. Digital marketing collateral, whatever that means. Now, <laughs> so now, that includes banner ads, But here's too, the thing. The I could only find it. Now, I guess that's where I'm asking for community's help. If anybody is hung up on this stuff like I am, I couldn't find the original research. All I could find was, and this is why sometimes web content gets a bad name for a really good reason and this is why there were hundreds of people that cited this infographic and this number 135 billion which just basically they were citing it in, from an infographic and taking everyone's word for it that web dam oh hey it's in an infographic it's on the internet it must be true now i don't even i don't know where the original survey was so i'm just going to hold that and just say for anyone, I don't want anyone to use that 135 billion number until we find out where it came from. Because I went, I did all kinds of different searches, Robert, and I couldn't. But find here's the it. thing: it's this it, is the thing. It, it's fascinating that this comes up now. My wife actually sent me an article over the weekend talking about, um, and I won't get into the details of this, but talking about the silliness um, of medical research. And, you know, the sort of, you know, four doctors out of five say that you should have a cholesterol level of here and this, you know, that sort of thing, right? And so, you know, there's all that conflicting information out there. And the the point of this medical article that she sent around was basically you have to have perspective on it, right? And so, you know, when they say a cup of coffee causes you to have high blood pressure, well, it's in context with what, right? Yeah. And so – and so this is this is one of those that's just like sort of yelling and screaming out, which is the sentence last year marketers spent more than $135 billion creating digital marketing content sounds very impressive, but in comparison to what? Right? What what is it that we're you know, in comparison to It's just you know, a really was, high number. It's just a it sounds really it sounds big, like but a quite really- frankly, it's it's in the scheme of how much business is spent on marketing, that's a drop in the bucket. You know, and uh, it if we don't have this number in any kind of context, it just sounds big because it's billion. But other than that, there's no it. So, you know, it could be like if if it had said last year's marketers only spent one hundred and thirty five billion dollars creating digital marketing content, I'd have gone. Yeah, you're right. That's that's not that much. You know, it's like just how it's positioned in that first sentence sort of makes the whole statistic what it is. It's like Sisyphus forcing himself to push a giant boulder up a steep hill. Well, kudos to him for bringing Sisyphus to the party because, you know, we really oh, need yeah, a little sorry. Sisyphus in our lives. This. You were going to pair this. I was going to pair this with one. an article that that might this this one might this one might just make your head explode. Um, this one, this one was really interesting. This one comes to us, uh, and 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 Bryce Dunwoody is a, f- a friend. I know him well, but this article was like 
eh, come on now. Um, the uh, hat tip, by the way, to Carl Yeah over, uh, out in Canada. Hi, Carl, um, for uh, giving me the heads up on this. From CMS Wire, the headline is, How Marketing Content Wastes Money. Um, and basically, the first line of this article goes, DocuRated has confirmed what many marketing people already suspect. Only a small percentage of that content you create is actually being used in the sales process. And now you understand the reason we're pairing these two stories here. And they say, in fact, according to a soon be, <laughs> this is the this this is the part that's going to make Joe's head explode. In fact, according to the soon to be released survey of one thousand two hundred one hundred and forty one. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? One, one comma, two, one, four, one, something. Um, sales and marketing the, professionals. That's the square root of pie, it's the, I think is what that is. 90% of the content marketing departments produce is never used by salespeople. I mean, uh, I mean, don't even get me started on that part. But what's more, 56% of salespeople prepare their own content. Then the article goes on to say basically – you know, how marketing is ostensibly up in its silver white tower, which I can assure you in big businesses is not true. Sales is sort of pining away for good marketing content. So what say you, Joe, to this article? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know. (laughs) I really don't know where to start. Why would we want the majority of the content that we create being evaluated and read or used by salespeople? Like, why would that be something? That's what I was waiting for. I'm like, and this is important because sales, why? What? Do you know how much content marketing creates? So, but this is the, oh man, I got to find this because this was the kicker. Oh, so they, (laughs) sorry. It's the Memorial Day show, folks. Okay. Uh, Docurated, the whatever the company is, claims ninety percent right. of marketing produced content is unused by sales teams. Since the average company devotes twenty five percent of its marketing budget to content, then companies are wasting about twenty two point five percent of their marketing budgets. <laughs> and I ended up like, oh, I see what he's doing. I see ninety percent of twenty five percent is twenty two point five percent. There that, you go. It did that. That was that was interesting. That was clever like, math, right there. Is what that. So is. you're right. It, putting it in context, to what? Like who? Why does it matter? Like I would say, hey, well, this the context is just plainly stupid. Well, yeah, the, con- the context here is plainly stupid. I mean, the, the just you know. Judging a, any marketing department on how much of their content is consumed by sales as a as a metric is, um, <laughs> I mean, it's just it, that's just well. He, so here's here's the just, big point in all this, and dumb. I'm sure people are like, man, they're really going off and ranting today. Yeah, here's, sorry, there is guys. a bigger there is a bigger point to this. Here's the point: these are two media companies that are writing these articles that are creating this content. This yep. leaves a huge open door for brands that can do a hundred times better on their content. I'm sorry. They can't. And I love the, I love the two. I, I, I do nothing too. against. I, I mean, do. I read CIO magazine. CIO, and like and I CMS said, Bryce Wire, is I love a friend. The I've, I've written the for CMS there. Wire before. And I'm sure at some point in my life, I've, I've written something as dorky as this. But uh, I mean, this is not, you know, to me, this is, this is where you just go, what, what, what is this? I mean, so this is where, to your point, this is where a brand can step up and truly introduce thought leadership, this stuff is, that really matters. This is really, and, and I, I understand how, I totally understand how this business model works. I mean, I've, I've been privy to a lot of information where of contributor networks where you have contributors putting in their content and you don't necessarily follow the normal editorial procedures that we have in the past. I mean, even at the, you know, Cleveland.com, the plain dealer, Northeast Ohio media group, that group of people in our, my area, I mean, they used to have multiple people edit and proofread a piece of content. Now it goes up almost immediately and they kind of fix it on the back end because they don't have the right, the resources. That's right. That's, and that's the big issue here because a lot of these companies have cut back so much on research and edit and editors, editors really. I mean, boy, we need more editors and proofreaders and copywriters in, in this whole process. And they've been t- oh, they used to be in the no process, kidding, and they've been taken out of taken out of this process because it's hard to make money directly off of content, folks. So yeah. people are doing this, and that's why the door is wide open for any brand that wants to come along and commit to the process. Commit to a strategy and commit to a process and add in those really important functions that have been lost by a lot of media companies. 
Here, 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 here. There you go. I'll, I'll get too, too well. I mean, I'm just not even going to say anything to that because that was just lovely. Well, thank um, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm sure the magazine, or the uh, media companies didn't like it very much. But... <laughs> well, we'll see. But right sure now, we'll, as we're I'm talking, I'm sure we're going to hear. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure we will hear. I'm, 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 I'm listening to my email go ding, ding, ding as we speak with the complaints coming in. All right. Anyway, moving on. Um, we have. Just uh, what a fantastic sponsor these guys have been. We love uh, we love Connective DX. Uh, for those of you that are not maybe familiar with that name, it's formerly Eyesight Design, and this old Smartest marketing is sponsored by so smart. Yeah, but they're sponsored. We're sponsored by Connective DX, uh, an agency that helps organizations bring together the customer insight, design, and technology capabilities necessary to build delightful digital experiences. That could have been the name of your book. You could have you could have named your book, Robert, Delightful Experiences, but you just went I, well, with Well, you know the funny thing is, I I I I thought that was one of the sort of original brainstorming words, but I didn't because those guys call their they have a wonderful conference that they do every year called Delight, and and it's it's a really I've spoken at it. It's a they do a fantastic not job. Delight, They're, not the yeah. hip hop group. The, is that a hip hop Delight? Not D E L I T E. No, not no, that. D-E, yeah, but that would be sweet. <laughs> if you did go, anyways, keep going. I'm going to think about yeah, how to sing that song. Um, Connective DX, a great report called Cruise Created. Creating Connected Experiences, and Robert and I have had a chance to go through this. It's fantastic. It outlines seven essential digital experience competencies, shares relevant data and insights on the shifting digital landscape, and delivers best practices for delivering digital experiences that actually differentiate. And you talk about this all the time, Robert. Tell a different story, not the same story, incrementally better. And this ebook will help you do that. Tips and tools for mapping customer insight, vision, and content. Learn more at bit.ly slash connective D. I'm sorry, connective slash or dash DX dash guide. Let me do that again so I don't mess it up. Bitly.com slash connective dash DX dash guide. And actually, since I just butchered that, the best way to do it is just go to thisoldmarketing.com and you'll go to the latest couple episodes and you'll find it. Click on it, download it. Enjoy it. Have a delightful experience around it, and you'll get uh, you'll get a lot of value out of it. I promise. Groove is in the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Groove is in the heart. <laughs> remember that song? That's, that's it. The, that's it. That's the delight song. Groove is in the heart. I love yeah. that song, yeah, man. That that's takes a great me back song. to the days at Bowling Green dancing <laughs> by <it> myself. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, dancing with myself will sort of segue from that into your favorite. Not that we haven't been ranting and raving already, but your favorite part of the show, our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like Donkey Kong or makes us feel like boop, 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 wop, wop. So uh, let's see. Um, I guess I go first. No, you no, go I'm first. I'm going first. You're yeah, going first because you got this whole marketing, marketing this week. Again right. this week. I'm getting tired. Oh, I know. All right. Okay. No, no, rub I'm it in. Blah, kidding. blah, blah. It's all good. You, yeah. you only had it like 12 episodes in a row. <laughs> um, you know, this will be really quick. Uh, I was sent um, – the good folks at Digiday uh, reached out to me, and they basically said, Joe, would you comment on this uh, brand, brand – if you want to call it branded content site, content marketing platform, whatever the case is. It's called Puppyhood. Dot com from Purina Puppy Chow. And I said, sure, I'll give you my take on it. And I, and I spent a few minutes going through it. And um, what I think is a really good idea, and the whole idea behind uh, puppyhood is just basically everything you need to, to take care of your puppy, uh, from what to feed the puppy, how to groom it, exercise it, health, uh, behavior issues, training, planning, all this kind of stuff. How do I walk my dog? All this good stuff. And this is... I cannot tell you how many projects I've been on that this exact thing has happened. And I don't know, you know, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe it was a test site. I don't know the context around this. But uh, they basically, Robert, uploaded all their content for the most part at one time. A lot of content at one time. And as I was looking for new articles, I mean, I'll say, hey, here's tips to stop puppy chewing. And that was from three months ago. And there's another one from three months ago. And there's another one from the same day, the same day, the same day. Oh, here's one that's two days later and whatever. 
but there's no consistent, updated, daily, whatever the case is, consistent delivery of content around this. It's it's a very much that microsite concept that concept uh, concept that we've seen you know for decades, where you just say, oh, here's a really good idea, and an agency has a great idea, and we're going to create all this content, we're going to load her up, and we're going to publish, and we're done, and it's great. Unbelievable. And it's going to be awesome because it's done and we can sit back and be done. But as we know, we're never done. The, it's just started when you publish. And uh, and maybe I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they're going to go because I think this could be a really good idea. I mean, there's some issues that I have with some of the content and the functionality. But the concept itself, I think, is really good. I mean, Purina is trying – I mean – they're they're targeting uh, puppy owners, of course, and they want to have the go-to resource for everything that you need about puppies, taking care of them, doing whatever. I think that's great. That makes perfect sense to me. But I think I don't see there's nothing around this for uh, for really building a long-term relationship through content, and and that happens so often. So I'm not gonna throw Purina under the bus. I can see exactly how this, I've been involved in these projects. They're very hard. Uh, to go the consistent route, but it, it's just unfortunate. So I just love to see whoever's listening out there. If you if you're involved in this project, I'd love to see you get a consistent delivery program around that, and yeah. really focusing on the subscription relationship, which I think could be very very valuable. And I'm sure you've got loyalty programs. I'm sure you got lots of things that you can integrate in here. Uh, and we know why that doesn't happen, but I, I think it should happen in this case. It's amazing to me what I, you know, the, the number of times that I'll go into a business and, you know, we're going to start talking about their content marketing work and I'll sit down with them and they'll say, great, let's, you know, let's, let's begin. And we start talking, they're like, oh, um, and, and one of the questions I'll immediately ask is let's, let's talk about the content platforms that you've got going. And they'll, and, and all of a sudden they'll get all excited and they'll say, oh yes, here we go. Uh, here, oh, check this out. Here's a blog that we that we launched uh, a year ago last quarter and it's got a, it's it's really and it and you go and they pull it up on the screen and it's beautiful and the content is sharp and it's really awesome and they go yeah we paid we paid good money for that thing that's great i'm like right, great what's going on with it well you know i mean the guy who managed it left and then it kind of just lost its way and it didn't do anything uh, all right and they go oh but here's this other thing there's this other thing this training program that we set up and we set this thing up on WordPress and here, check it out. And you, and you go to the site and it's, you know, there's one class in there and it's beautiful. The site's beautiful. The class is awesome. And you go, great. What happened with this? Well, you know, the quarter got in the way and we had to close some deals and sales needed some stuff. So we just, we didn't have time to finish it. Oh, okay. Oh, then there's this other thing. We tried this online magazine thing for awareness that we tried, you know, last year. It was really, really awesome. And someday, you know, we, we, you know, we, we shot a video for it and it's beautiful. We just never published it because, you know, we just didn't really feel like it belonged on the website and we did a redesign. It's like all these projects that sort of start and the goal is to get them launched and nobody ever thinks to like, well, what, you know, everybody always says, well, what happens if you fail? One of the questions that we've got to ask ourselves is what happens if we succeed? What happens if it actually works? You know, one of the I'm reading all this stuff now in this in, in measurement um, as I get deeper into this about risk mitigation, which is really what measurement is all about. And this idea of risk mitigation, one of the things that this one author, this awesome author brings up, he talks about, you know, the definition of risk is just a, a deviation from the norm. It doesn't mean positive or negative, right? In other words, I could launch a blog and the thing could go completely viral. That's as big a risk as it is to fail completely, we always plan for like, well, if it fails completely, we just stop doing it. But what we never plan for is like, well, what if the thing actually does go viral and gets really successful? What do we do then? That's a good that, point. I mean, it, it's, this is the kind of thing. And, and if only to give ourselves the momentum and the budget and the process to actually continue this thing like this puppy site, it's, that's just a, a, as good a reason as any to, hey, here it comes again. Document, put the strategy, put the plan together, make content to function of the business. All right. Um, I have a rave again this week, so I think that's good given our given the rest of the <laughs> exactly, show this week. Yeah. Um, so um, I there is a guy out there. His name is Tom Goodwin. Um, he is one of those guys who is 
really just kind of annoying at how talented he is in terms of what he writes. Um, everything I've subscribed to just about everything he writes and he's just his LinkedIn blog. He writes occasionally and he writes on his blog, of course, occasionally for Havas. He's the senior VP of innovation at Havas agency and he's in the UK. Just a super smart guy. And he wrote an article for TechCrunch. And so speaking of media companies and really fantastic articles, and just the first line, in fact, he got a shout out from Thomas Friedman. You know when you're doing okay when you get a shout out from Thomas Friedman. But so the, the first sentence of this article is just, it just tees everything up. The first sentence, which I'm going to quote verbatim, it says, Uber, the world's largest taxi company, owns no vehicles. Facebook, the world's most popular media owner, creates no content. Alibaba, the most valuable retailer, has no inventory. And Airbnb, the world's largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate. Something interesting is happening. And then he goes on to really talk about this sort of evolution of what we're talking about here. And he really gets into this idea of the new thing is the interface. And there's a lot of things that, you know, so I would call this the experience um, in the book that Carl and I wrote, Experiences. We would talk about the digital content or the content-driven experiences we talk about it. He talks about the interface. And as he says, he says, the internet age means building things is nothing other than code. We're going to see a nonstop battle to leap ahead of each other and also get more wide. As he uses this example, he says, Twitter may have started out as a microblogging platform, but it's now aimed at being a way to exploit an audience to distribute TV content. Okay, so that's interesting. Agree, disagree, whatever. But what I love so much about this, what's just so awesome, it's just a really elegant way to frame this as a step forward in what we're trying to do from a content planning perspective. You know, so if we can start to look at the content we're creating for our business, not just as marketing collateral, not just as in support to sales, as we've talked about throughout this show, but as the experience that we are creating for our customers what we're laying over the top of our products and our services as interfaces, as he would put it, into a deeper, more valuable experience. This is the strategy, right? So, for example, you're looking for a business case for content marketing. Look at it like an interface to create a richer experience for the product, the marketing, the sales, the customer service. Looking for a measurable uh, kind of content marketing approach? Look at it like an interface to increase the efficacy of what's already being done and measured. In other words, how's our direct marketing? How's our SEO? How's our search engine marketing? Is do, How's it doing? We're already measuring that. Got it? Great. Now, what if we layer over this content interface over the top of that, content experiences, an app, whatever it is, how does it improve the marketing that we're doing? How does it improve our advertising? How does it improve our SEO? Got it? Great. Are we looking at a way to say that, you know, to scale content marketing? Well, we can start to think of solid, singular, or centralized repositories of content as sort of our strategy. And then the technical infrastructure, the scalability comes as ways that we can lay over new skins or new interfaces over the top of it. I just think it's a really lovely, elegant way to start to think about it. And I just think he and the article doesn't even mention content mark doesn't really talk about content marketing. It's much more about innovation and digital disruption, and it's just a wonderful way to put it. And you know, I've I've have told him this many times. He's just annoyingly great at how good a writer he is, and so that's my rave for well, this week. That that first line is I think something we all know, but we needed somebody to tell us that. I mean, that's pretty. The old one about Airbnb is the largest accommodator, but. I mean that's that's pretty powerful stuff. It's just it's just really. And that was I a, quote him. I, he's got a couple of quotes in 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 our book where he talks about you know the whole idea that I talk about now in workshops and stuff about this idea of small marketing that was directly inspired by something he wrote a while back where he says you know basically you know he he was talking about how. Evermore these days, we, and I'm going to botch this quote. There's a wonderful quote he wrote in a piece. He said, basically, what we're doing these days in ever increasing ways are decreasing the layers of marketing that we have and basically increasing the, the, the stratifications of marketing to the point where we spend less 
and it's just ever more so pointless, right? We're never solving the big problems of our business. We're solving small problems like how do we manage a community of 25 Twitter followers? And it's just that's the marketing of our times, as he said. And it's just, it's just, I, I completely botched that, but he's just a wonderful, wonderful oh, thinker. Beautiful. And that was uh, what, that was sent to us by what? Um, that was uh, again, so uh, once again, Roger Parker, Parker who is yep. a, a lovely guy, sent, sent that over to me. So thank you, Roger, again for Shout that. Shout out to Roger, big supporter. Whoop, whoop. Absolutely. All right. So right I on. have um, this old marketing. I have this old marketing. This is not an old, old. Uh, this old marketing, but um, I, I absolutely, Rob, I wish you could see this, Robert, because this is a beauty, and you know I love print. Um, and this is a this is a, a fantastic beauty. piece. So let me, it's beautiful. Let me, beautiful. <laughs> let me give you a little bit of detail on this. This comes from Fresh Fork Market. Um, for those, Fresh Fork Market is a, is a local farm buying group uh, here in the Cleveland area. Very a small company. Uh, basically, they work with a hundred family farms all over Northeast Ohio, and they bring them together so that every uh, week you go out and get your produce and meats and whatever you order at different pickup spots. And so it's a it's a small business. I mean, there I see them when I go pick this stuff up. They're hustling, and every year they put out this almanac. This almanac is beautiful. It is high quality paper. Uh, it is think of a coffee table type of a magazine. Uh, you know, you got sixty four pages plus here with a, an amazing cover, uh, high quality photography, uh, really, really well put together. So it's funny when I talk to a lot of small businesses, they say, "Oh, we can't do that." Here's a small business that's actually doing that. Now, what I love about this is we've left this laying around our house and had a number of people come in and they see it, they pick it up, and then they ask, oh, what's this? And we, of course, tell them the story. We probably delivered five or six customers to them just by people seeing us in our house because we like to leave it laying around. So that's just our little personal buying story. But what I love about this, this is all targeted to their customer base. Now, when you get involved in a farm buying group, you're starting to get you know, vegetables mostly that you've never heard of, I've never heard of before, and you don't know what to do with them. So it's really important. This is a customer initiative, a loyalty initiative to keep them. And they have, it's funny because as you open up, they say, here's who we are. And then they say, here's our mission. And they have their mission statement in a really well-designed format. We invest in our local farms. We're organic, we're unavailable, no artificial labeling, pasture-raised, non-GMO, Peak freshness, family oriented, all this stuff. They just go through it almost like South, how Southwest used to do it. And I love it how they do it here. They go through recipes. Uh, they go through, they tell stories of the customers really well. And then they do a lot of how to stuff like, hey, you know, you've got to keep your, um, your knives sharp to do this. Here's the way, to, here's how you do that and keep it sharp. Um, here is, you know, you don't know what to do with that uh, rutabaga. Here you, here you go. Here's the ways that you can use that. Uh, integrate them into your recipes, get your kids to eat them, those types of things. I'm just fascinated by it uh, because in a day and age, and we've talked about this on many shows, when we're so focused on awareness and top of the funnel initiatives, we've forgotten about the opportunities and customer loyalty and retention. And this is a small business that, that hasn't forgotten that. And uh, and I'm just hats off to Fresh Fork Market for putting this out. I'll see if we can get it, find a link and put it in the show notes and uh, just kudos to them. And I think that, you know, uh, kudos. if you're, yeah, if you're a business that is having, you know, it's almost like everyone, I mean, you and I have been on how many consultations and we go in and everybody's all focused on top of the funnel and get the blogs out. And what are we doing on social media? When in almost all cases, it seems like what we should be doing, the low hanging fruit for content marketing is around retention and loyalty. Let's look there first. How do we keep our customers longer, get our customers to buy more? I think that's where the opportunity is at. So any of you thinking about really taking another jump into content marketing, I would start there first. Absolutely. And by the way, who doesn't want to know what to do with a rutabaga? I'm, oh, hey. On now, come on. Hey, I didn't even know what it was. I mean, I'm getting these bags. I'm going to pick. I literally, I'm going to pick them up. Get a, a bag truck. of rutabagas. I'm, talk, I'm talking to the guys, and and I'm actually I'm get I get this big bag of groceries, and I don't know what half the stuff is. I literally don't. So, and they, that I mean, I mean they, maybe it's just me. But now I'm learning. It is just you. You need now your I'm veggies, learning. buddy. And you now need that, your veggies. Yeah. And now I'm gonna blend it up and <laughs> put it in a smoothie. <laughs> All right, you're. Uh, where, where are you going this oh, week? What I'm are you at, doing? I'm at uh, uh, the BMA Business Marketing Association oh, annual that's event, right. 2015. That's right. 
Um, I'll That's be there. Right. My invitation to that got lost in the mail too. There's all I see all sorts of fun, interesting people are going to be there, but yeah, I'm not going to be. Well, there. you know, they had me this year. I think you're going to be. You're going to be there next year. No, I'm almost positive. They don't like but, me. No, no, they, they, don't like they me. do like you. They do. <laughs> Everybody loves you. No, Everybody does. No, so I'll be there this week, Wednesday through Friday. So looking forward to hanging out with some Very friends. Nice. I got a keynote. I think my keynote is Thursday morning. So I'll go ahead and, and do that. How about yourself? Where are you at this week? I am home this week, heads down, working on stuff. Um, I am, yeah, I'm all heads down, working at home. Um, and then next week I am, you know, we're going to have to figure our stuff out because I'm, I'm a traveling fiend next week. I go to Seattle and then Pittsburgh and then, uh, and then I'm in uh, Boston for the, for the remaining part of the week. Oh, so that'll be tough. We'll have a tough one because I'll be in Norway at that time. So yeah, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be a fun one to figure so out for sure. It'll be so fun. I love so the middle-of-the-night podcasts are my favorite. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, on that note, folks, have a lovely, wonderful Memorial Day. Thanks again to all of our men and women in service um, who keep this country free and really just sacrifice a lot uh, for their families and their lives for, for all of us. Um, that is it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, we love those tweets. We love those stories, ideas. Hashtag this old marketing um, and, uh, and let us know. Also, if you've got a question, you want to give us a story idea and you like the email thing, this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 80, Ocho Zero, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about today are in the show notes, which will be available this Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week, folks, when we're going to hear Joe say, who's flying this thing? Oh, right. That'd be me. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.